champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys on a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, Sunday morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet, uh, wherever you happen to be in the world, we're glad that you've joined us today uh, here. I, uh, I get to speak a lot of different places now. My other job is the president of ARC. Uh, you guys know that, and we plant... Um, Churches, uh, we've planted over 800 churches. In fact, by the end of this next year, we'll be close to 1,000 churches uh, being planted. And yeah, that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And uh, still is every day. And so I, when I'm not here, I'm usually speaking at an ARC church or ARC leadership event. And uh, last, last couple of weekends, I've been in the Tampa area, some great churches. And usually what I do is I show a picture of my grandkids because it's, our family, you know, and, and because especially ladies will go, ah, oh, and they like me at the beginning of the message, which makes it easier to speak. And I thought, I don't know how much I do that here. In fact, those of you at the campuses here at Long Point, you know, you see them running around and although there's many people, you don't know which one are, are ours, but um, uh, you don't get to see them a lot. So I thought I would show you my team, okay? This is my team. Take a look. We've got Pictures, I think, there we go, up, up there too. Yeah, that's the team. And uh, there's 14 of them, you can count real quick. And uh, they're blonde mostly. And uh, the one on the far end over here, I'll just point on my screen, she's gonna come to know Jesus at some point. <laughs> and that's uh, kind of her view in most of our family pictures. How many of you have one that does that in most of the pictures? Let me tell you about this little guy in the middle right here with the seersucker jacket. You can just tell... Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's got it going on, right? Well, um, how many of you uh, are familiar with essential oils? Has anybody ever heard of essential oils? I guess they're the greatest thing since Jesus, is, is what I understand. <laughs> they cure everything, everything that ails you. Uh, you can have peace uh, with wh whatever. And in fact, my daughter-in-law is kind of really big into this stuff. And so uh, in his bedroom, she... Uh, diffuses, uh, see I'm getting the words right even, I researched this a little bit, S she diffuses a special oil, an essential oil, that I guess you could become president someday if you just breathe this all the time. <laughs> just an amazing, amazing thing. And so one morning she uh, came to, to get him from his bed and she walked in and it smelled terrible in there. Just smelled terrible. She didn't know what it was. Asked him if he knew, he had no idea. And I guess the next day it was the same thing and only worse, and she asked him, are you clean and dry, you know, and she washed the sheets and all of his clothes, and he says, fine, do you know anything? He didn't know anything. So finally, she did a lot of research, and she found out that he had peed in the diffuser. <laughs> and so for the last couple of days, they had been diffusing some non-essential oils, okay? <laughs> Now, 
I did a little research because I want to know, can you accident, is that, that like overspray from a urinal or can you, is, is it accidental? That little hole is really small. This is an intentional act. And so I thought, way to go. You know, that's grandpa. He's like, go for it. That really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I thought it was a great story. Kind of introduces you to our family. So let me ask you a question. If you can kind of get it, get it together here. Have you ever wondered what it w- would be like to be a part of a, a championship team, of a, 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 of a team that does something so amazing and so great that it literally changes the world? I thought about that. I thought of two or three teams. Uh, first, have you seen this movie, Hidden Figures? Anybody see that? Amazing, very inspirational movie to me. And uh, it's basically about three women who overcome racism, who overcome sexism, and are a part, an essential part, of uh, helping to launch John Glenn into orbit in the NASA program. And they'll, they'll be forever remembered because of the movie and because of what they've contributed. It had never been done before. They literally changed the world. They changed the way that people look at what is possible with space exploration. I thought, what would it be like to be a part of that team? Um, I was speaking a few weeks ago at one of our ARC churches in uh, the San Francisco area, actually San Jose uh, in Silicon Valley. And after uh, the final service, I asked the pastor if he would take me to the house. He knew what the house was. I'm kind of a computer geek, have been for a long time, and so he took me to this house, which is a fairly normal house, a very normal house in a normal neighborhood, but in that garage right there, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and a group of friends literally revolutionized the computer world as we know it. You're probably carrying an Apple phone with you, unless you can't afford one, you've got uh, one of the other kind. I can't afford them these days, but the, right there in that house, um, they, they literally changed the world. In fact, today you carry more computer power in your phone than existed for entire cities, changed the world. And I've often thought really seriously, what would it have been like to be just one of those guys, you know, one of those guys that changed the world? Um, for those of you who are a little bit older, anybody recognize, recognize the name Jonas Salk? Anybody Know what Jonas Salk? Okay, a few. Jonas Salk, this guy and his team, just normal people again, just normal people. Uh, before 1955, polio was the most feared disease on the planet. In fact, I have an aunt that's still alive. She's 82 years old. And as a little child, she was crippled by polio and still deals with that to this day. It would come in ec- epidemics and waves. And the 1952 epidemic was the worst one yet where 3,000 people died and uh, over 21,000 people were crippled and mostly children, mostly children, if you can imagine. Well, these guys were a part of a team that announced on April the 12th, 1955, the cure, not just to help, but the cure for polio. I think it was penicillin, wasn't it? The the cure for polio. And uh, it was such a big deal that they almost made a national holiday out of it. They literally change the world. And I wondered, as I thought about that and looked at that picture, I wondered, what would it have been like to be a part of that team? Well, here's the truth. 
When God calls you and I to be a part of the local church, it really is an invitation to change the world. It's more consequential than circling the earth. There's more power available than millions of computers. Uh, There's a greater ability to cure what ails people than a vaccine for polio. It's a place where lives are changed. How many of you have had your life changed in a local church? How many would say, my life was changed in a local church? Yeah, it's amazing. It's a place where sin is forgiven, where marriages are healed, where attitudes are transformed. In fact, the local church is the hope of the world, and God has called you and I to be a part of it. Okay, there's one person that kind of got that. Here's what I'm thinking. It may be your fault. Maybe you didn't hear it right, or it could have been in the delivery, all right? So I'm going to go back. I'm going to do that line again, only I'm going to come at it from my Pentecostal roots, okay? So here we go. Let's see how you do, all right? The local church is the hope of the world, and God has called you and I to be a part of it. There we go. Yeah. You should have heard him at the campuses right there. Just blew the lid off the place. Yeah, I really do believe that. And, and so what we're doing is we're in a series. In fact, this is the last message of the series uh, where we're talking about the greatest of all times. And don't you appreciate the goat facts during the, like, when you first came? I didn't know goats fell over and looked like that, but I guess they do. But um, uh, we're talking about greatest of all times. And uh, I want to talk about the church as being the greatest of all times. And I want to talk about the fact that God has called you and I to greatness. He really has. Uh, Everybody in here, everybody listening to my voice, has been called to a level of greatness that you don't even, I don't even uh, uh, know the, 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 the limits or the edges to it. And so what I want to do is I'm going to, uh, we're going to look at an Old Testament hero who was the greatest of all times. He's one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. Now look at his life. We're going to make some, um, some statements about his life, three statements. And then at the end, I want to give you three challenges. Does that sound fair? All right, so let's buckle up and let's get after it. Here's a, God has called you and I to greatness. Here's the first thing that I know is that God's call on your life usually involves an invitation to do something that you think you are incapable of. God's call on your life almost always usually involves an invitation from God to do something that you think that you are incapable of. We're going to take a look at Moses, okay? Uh, Here's what we know about Moses in the Old Testament. Great leader, great leader, humble leader. Um, But there was a point where God called him to lead people, and he didn't see himself as a viable candidate, and truthfully, it would be easy to not see him as a viable candidate. Moses, as you know, just to review a little bit, he was um, a, a Jewish kid that through a series of circumstances was raised uh, by the most powerful man on the planet at the time, Pharaoh of Egypt. And uh, he was raised for leadership. He was groomed to be a, a leader in, in Egypt. And at about 40 years old, he decided to go see uh, the, the world, kind of see how uh, his people were being treated and, you know, it's, it's hard to see what goes on in an ivory tower sometimes. And so he gets out, and he sees that uh, they're under Egyptian oppression. They're being abused by Egyptian people. And so uh, he 
He sees a, a particular instance where a guy is a, 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 an Egyptian with power is abusing an Israelite with no power, and he gets angry, he loses it, and he kills the man. Now, when he kills the man, he suddenly goes from this powerful position to being a wanted position. Now, Pharaoh wants to kill him, okay? He, he thinks that perhaps he'll get some grace from the Jewish people because he's helping an Israelite here, but the Jewish people now don't trust him. They say, if you did that to him today, would you do it to us tomorrow? So he finds himself hated by Pharaoh, not trusted by his own people, and so he has to flee and leave, and so he goes to another country. Uh, on the backside of the desert, he becomes a shepherd and wonders if there's anything left for him. Some of you here today wonder that same question. Has the best already happened? It's not everybody here, but there are some of us here that wonder if my best days are behind me. Would you take your pulse real quick? Just take your pulse. We do this every once in a while. Do you have anything? If you have a pulse, God has a plan, okay? If you're alive, God has a plan for your future. And Moses, at 80 years old, receives a call from God. And the call we're going to look at, it's found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10 and 11. He says, now go. God says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But look at Moses' response. But Moses protested to God. Have you ever protested to God? Moses protested to God, who am I? Say, who am I together? Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? He kind of has a point. Would you agree with that? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He kind of has a big point there. Pharaoh wants to kill him and the people don't trust him. Worst part, God, time out, pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. See, when God's call is on your life, it usually involves an invitation to do something you think that you are incapable of. Moses doesn't think he can do it. Have you ever had a who am I moment? Have you in, in God's call? Maybe it might be vocationally, okay? For some of us here, again, this doesn't apply to everybody. The different pieces apply to different people. But for some of us here, you're at a who am I vocational moment right now. Maybe it's to start a business, and you know that God has kind of been dealing with this, some doors are starting to open, but you're going, who am I to do this? Or, or, or maybe it's to step up in leadership in an area of the business that you're a part of, and you have a new opportunity, and it's like, who, who am I to do this? Could be relationally, could be in spiritually, could be, lead, could be in any area. Who am I? I remember a lot of who am I moments in my life. Uh, I remember a call to preach. Uh, most of you know I didn't aspire to do this as, as a kid. People ask me, Is that, did you always want to be a preacher? And no, I, as a matter of fact, didn't. But there was a unique situation, circumstance in my life where I sensed a call of God on my life to preach. The problem was I felt like um, I, I just didn't live up to the models that I saw. I grew up in a little Pentecostal church. My dad was a great preacher, lives with us now. I love being able to honor him in that way. But I mean, he can preach heaven down. You know, you know how I did just for a minute there, kind of, yeah, he does that all the time. And it's like you would be just jumping up going, yeah, that's right. And I'm not like that. In, in fact, when I speak at other churches, this, this 
especially at larger churches. Last couple of weeks, I've spoken at some very large churches in the Tampa area, uh, art churches, and, and um, they, they always say this. B- before you get up, you have a little pre-production meeting to kind of know what goes on, and they have lines on the stage, and, and it's the box. And I know what the box is, and the production manager will come down and say, here's the line. We need you to stay inside of this line right here and here's the other line over here. We need you to stay inside of this line. Why? Because the lights are there, the camera for campuses. In fact, the one that I was at just last weekend had a lockdown camera where they said if you get outside of this line, that the campuses won't even see you. You know what my number one temptation was? Just to get right over here and do this right here, you know, and preach. And so that, you see, when I walked over here, there's not enough light on me. Can you see that? Okay. I'm just giving you the behind the scenes of this whole deal. But here's what I always tell them. I told them this last week. I said, don't worry about me. I said, I stay right in the box. In fact, I don't go far from the ranch right here. It's just kind of who I am. And that was a problem because when I first started to preach, I would preach for my dad or I'd preach for my uncle, and who, who's the same way, just great, great orators and speakers. And I'd preach for about 15, 20 minutes. And, and then they would get up right behind me and they'd re-preach my message for about 10 or 15 minutes. They would bring the heat. People would be excited. It would be awesome. It was, it was as if they were saying, this is what he meant to say, okay? <laughs> I remember going to a college professor and saying, you know, I feel like I've got this call, but I, who am I? I you know, I, I can't do that. And what do I do with that? And, and I remember him saying to me, you know, you, do, you, do you think God made a mistake when he created you the way that you are? And I said, well, I don't think so. Well, do you think God made a mistake when he called you to preach? And, well, I, I don't think so, but I don't see how that's going to work. And he said, well, don't you think that God has a group of people somewhere that will be able to kind of relate to your way of communicating and your sense of humor and all of this? And I said, well, you know, that's possible. I really began to feel hopeful. And he said, uh, I wouldn't get my hopes too high. It's probably not very many people, but there are some people <laughs> out there somewhere. I can remember, I've told this story before, I can remember my call to pastor. I felt like we're, we, I've got a vision. I want to pastor a church. I want it to be a different kind of church. And in our denomination, if you wanted to pastor a church, you would, uh, a church without a pastor, there wasn't really a lot of church planting back then. Church without a pastor would issue a call. You would go, you'd preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, bring your best messages, and then they'd vote on you, kind of like, you know, uh, American Idol meets Survivor. They can vote you off the island before you get on, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I remember going to the first church that I ever candidated for, tried out for, a little church in central Illinois, Pena, Illinois, just, just a real small church, they had nine members. In fact, Debbie and I had Jason with us. She was brand new, and so that we made 12. And I taught the Sunday school class. Everybody was in the same Sunday school class because there wasn't any kids there. There weren't any young people. And I taught as much as I could. Then I got up and I taught church, you know, the regular church service. And at the end of the service, somebody came up to me and said, you don't have to come tonight. I said, really? No. We voted, and it was 9 nothing. No thank you, you know. And, um, yeah, that was like, who am I? I remember my uncle saying, um, you know, we've got another church quite a bit bigger, 13 members. Next week, you guys can go up there and we pay all of their bills, okay? So they're going to have a vote, but it doesn't really matter whether you get the vote or not, you're going. I felt a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident (laughs) that particular day. But it was these who am I moments. I still have them to this day, leading this church, leading ARC. Who am I to do this? Do you have those? Maybe Maybe it's a call 
to purity in the Bible. And, or maybe you, you hear something, you go, you know, who am I? Or a call to faithfulness, or maybe it's a call to, to just lead or to take your next step. We talk a lot about next steps here. It's just a call to take your next steps. God's call on your life usually involves an invitation to do something that you think that you are incapable of. Let me give you the second thought today. Here it is. That's a good principle, but I'm gonna talk about it. There are probably legitimate reasons why you can't respond to God right now. Okay, God's call on your life is usually something you think you're incapable of, and there are usually reasons. Now, I'm not talking about excuses. How do you know the difference between excuses and reasons? Sometimes there are legitimate reasons that you just can't respond right now. Let's look at Moses, okay? So Exodus 4 and verse 10, God's call is for him to lead. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. How many of you would say, I relate to Moses, I'm just not very good with words, okay? For some of you, it's just an excuse. If I was to say, would you come up here on stage and give me a little piece of your testimony, you would like have stage fright. How many of you know that? Because a lot of people, for a lot of people, public speaking is their number one fear, or at least in their top three or four, okay? But that's just kind of an excuse. I don't, you could do it, you could do it. I could coach you through it and you could do it. Moses, on the other hand, he says, I'm not very good with words, I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Here's what a lot of theologians that study this believe, that this wasn't an excuse for Moses. He had a speech impediment. He could not speak. He couldn't get his thoughts together. There was something going on. He could not speak. Why is this such a big deal? Because... God has called him to lead. First of all, he thinks he's the wrong guy. God says, no, that's all right, I got it. Secondly, if you're gonna lead, if you're a leader, you need a lot of gifts. Number one gift I think that a leader needs is the ability to communicate. If you can't communicate, people can't follow you. And the larger the test, the larger group of people that you have got to lead, the better communicator you need to be. You don't necessarily need to be a gifted communicator, but you need to be a good communicator. So watch this. The one thing that Moses needs to fulfill the plan of God for his life, the ability to communicate, he doesn't have. He doesn't have. There are usually reasons, not just excuses. It's an excuse. God doesn't say to Moses, Moses, come on. You can speak. No, he doesn't do that. Now, he does have a little bit of a dust up a little bit later, and a couple, three verses later when Moses uh, just stubbornly continues to go, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. But it's a legitimate, legitimate reason why Moses can't fulfill or follow through on what God has for him. So let me ask you this. What are the obstacles between where you are now and the destiny that God may be calling you to? What are, what, what are the reasons that now is not a good time. Say, well, I'm not organized, or I'm not that eloquent. I don't have the education. I don't have the money. It's not the right season of life for us right now. I've got a physical handicap. Or you know what? I've got a failure in my background that when people figure that out, it disqualifies me for what I think that God is calling me to. 
You know what? These are probably legitimate reasons why you can't respond to God's call in your life. But let me give you the kind of the next thought that I have is that when you say yes, how about we say that together? Say yes, yes. Let's say yes, God. Yes, God. When you say yes, God, you invite God's unlimited greatness. That's what we're talking about in this series, true greatness. You invite God's unlimited greatness into your limited capabilities. And your deficiencies tend to disappear. Yeah, that's true. That's a, good, that's a good thing to clap your hands on. Watch what happened to Moses. God, God says, I'm calling you, Moses, I can't speak. And God says, Whom, who made the mouth? Well, you did. Who made the tongue? Well, you did. And God, it's, just, it's as if God is saying this. Moses, if you will say yes to me, even when you don't understand, if you'll say yes to me, I will take you from the backside of a desert, being a shepherd, I will take you on the greatest adventure that you can imagine. And if you'll allow me to, I'll work the miraculous in your life. Watch what happens. Watch what happens to Moses. Here's what we know. We know that Moses goes, he says yes. He goes to Egypt. He gets the children of Israel, the ones that don't like him and the guy that wants to kill him. He negotiates a deal. They come out of Israel. They actually wander around in the desert for 40 years. God forgot to tell them about that part of it. And uh, have you know that God forgets to tell you? God doesn't forget anything. He just chooses not to from time to time. And, and, he, and, and, um, and he gets the law of God from Mount Sinai. And then, and then there's, a, there's a place in Deuteronomy where he actually speaks the whole book of Deuteronomy. What, what, listen to me. How many of you have ever read the book of Deuteronomy? Anybody read Deuteronomy? You have not. You skimmed it. There's, there's 613 laws in there. At law 389, you went, that's enough. On over here. Moses, the guy who couldn't speak that had a speech impediment, for 30 consecutive days for a full month, speaks the book of Deuteronomy. Is that a miracle? It's a miracle. We don't hear again about Moses' inability to speak. And the point is, is that when you say yes, you invite God's unlimited greatness into your limited capacities. So, here's, here's the challenge. I want to give you a challenge. I said I would. Here's three things, three things with, with what we've got. Number one, be open to listening to God's call for your future. Okay? Be open to listening to God's call for your future. We say, how do I do that? For some of you, this is what's, this is what's awesome here and in the campuses. For some of you, it's happening right now while I speak. This, this happens every week. You're going, people will come up to, to me afterwards and they'll say, I, God spoke to me. And they'll tell me what God said through my message. And I'm going, I didn't say anything about that. It's God. It's God. And for some of you, at some point during this message, there was something that began to resonate in here. You go, he's talking about me. That's, that's my situation. That's exactly where I am right now. You're beginning to hear God in that, okay? And I challenge you to listen, to hear God. For others of you, you're going to go out of this place, and this week, there's going to be, at some point, you're going to be hopefully reflecting on maybe what God has done among us here today, and, and God's going to begin to speak to you. And, and when he does, it's, it's probably going to be like this. He's going to invite you into something that you think that you are incapable of. There will be a lot of reasons why you 
can't do it right now. And if you say yes to God, if you say yes, then, then he, it brings his greatness into our incapableness. So I, I, the first thing I want you to do is listen to God's call for your future. Here's the second thing. Be willing to trust in God's provision for today. Here, here's what I mean by that. When, when you have a vision, if, if you've ever had this, when, when you get excited about something, um, uh, how have you know that there is a gap between the vision and the provision? Always is. There's a gap between what I see now and the ultimate goal. And Moses had that. And that gap was that 40-year period where they're wandering in the desert. And he has to trust God for today's manna. Trust God for today's provision. God is saying some things to you. And, and some of you, God has spoken about something in your family or in your future and your vocation or whatever. And you're in that in-between time. And it's in that in-between time that we've really, really, really got to trust God. Uh, I have a cousin whose name is Craig, and I call him the nice Surratt. He's the nicest Surratt. In fact, God was so good to him that his last name is Johnson and not Surratt, but he's my cousin. You don't understand all that. We have a gift of sarcasm. He has a gift of graciousness. He's just an incredible guy. And uh, him and his wife, Samantha, um, uh, had, a, had a child, they have three children, but they had a child about eight years ago, something like that. And for the first two years of having that child, it was just, it was, it, it was just a, a normal experience of mom, dad, child, dad's bonding with this child, the child loves hanging with dad, starting to learn his first few words and all that kind of thing. And at about two years old, they began to see something different in Connor. And Connor uh, quit connecting, he quit communicating, and for four years, Connor didn't say a thing to them. They went to the doctors, and he was diagnosed with autism, and fairly severe autism. Didn't, he wasn't saying anything. Uh, broke their hearts. They had dreams for this little guy. They began to ask God, why? God, why? Have you ever asked God why about anything? Had some things go on recently in my own family, and God, why? Why? And he said, they, we, we began to do that and because they had these dreams. They had dreams being a ministry family that, that Connor would perhaps minister to thousands, maybe even a million people sometime in his lifetime. They serve on staff at a church called Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. And their pastor is this guy named Joel Osteen. I don't know if anybody ever heard of him. And Joel inspires great dreams. And, and Craig is over all their ministries there at their church, uh, the, you know, the small groups and children and students and all that. He's over all that stuff, kind of like an executive pastor. And uh, Joel and his family were so gracious and kind, they paid for uh, little Connor to have the best treatment and the best education and all of that. But Craig said, we, when it turned for us is when we went from why to why not. We're in an in-between time. We still have our child more than we ever could. God, why can you not? Why not use Connor in a great way? Well, one day Craig came home from work and, and uh, Samantha was putting Connor to bed. Let me, t let me let Craig tell the story. Go ahead and roll a little bit of video on that. A few weeks later, Sam calls me from upstairs and she said, Craig, Craig, get up here. 
get up here as soon as you can. And I thought there was something wrong, you know, and so I run upstairs. She says, I was putting Carr in a bed. I, 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 was, I was reading him books like I do every night. And she said, all of a sudden, he just began to speak. He began to say one word after another word. So it's been five years since I've heard him even speak four words together. And she says, Connor, you know, Connor, say it for Daddy. And uh, he lifted up his little head, and he just began to speak. And he said, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I, I have what it says I have. I can do it as I can do. And he said, whole, this is my Bible pledge. And uh, we just began to break down, you know, crying. It, uh, it was, to say it was a miracle would be an understatement. This is my Bible. I am as I am. I have as I have. I can do as I can do. Tonight I lift up the word of God. My soul is convinced. My life is a word. My heart is accepted. I will never be saved. I will about to receive the dear Christ book. Indescribable, everywhere it sees. Of where God, I'll never be saved. Never, 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 I'll never be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. That was awesome. Good job, Connor. Give me a high five. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? First words. First words this kid ever speaks. And if you've ever watched Joel Osteen, they hold up the Bible at the beginning of the service and it's the Bible pledge. And this is my Bible and the whole, he said the whole thing. First thing he ever, ever did. Well, Craig and Samantha took him to Joel, Pastor Joel, and they said, Joel, listen to this, watch what he did. And of course, Joel did a whole Sunday morning service on that. And that service reached 20 million people. And out of that, spawned a ministry that Craig and Samantha have now to special needs families. Does, does, uh, does little Connor still have autism? Yes, he does. He's growing and growing and growing every day and it gave mom and dad hope in that in-between time. And now they help uh, thousands of churches all over the world with champion centers. Uh, we have a special needs uh, class here at our church, but champion centers for kids with special needs. And so it's a, it's a, it's a why not? And so what I want to challenge you to do, you may be in the in-between time, physically in your own self, or maybe something in your family. It could be in your business or career. Trust God. Trust God with that, with that, with that gap time, that in-between time. And ask God, turn from why to why not. And then here we go, last thing. Be ready to act on God's plan before you're ready to. Be ready to act on God. Be willing Let's change that wording for the next service. That's better. Be willing to act on God's plan before you're ready. Be willing to take that first clumsy step. We always want our first step to be a good step, don't we? How many of you, when your kids learned to walk, it was a really good step? That was a clumsy step, but you took a video of it and put it on Instagram because it was awesome. Well, you need to be ready to take an awesome, clumsy first step. Last story. So Moses dies just short of the promised land for a lot of reasons. He saw it, but he never got to go in it. And his assistant Joshua now is tasked to take the people into the promised land. Now, between where they were and where they needed to go, there was a raging river. That's almost always the case. And this river was at high tide. Wrong time to cross it. 
High tide, that's not right. That's, that's a, Charles, I'm Charlestonizing this story. It was at flood tide, flood tide. Wrong time of the year. There's a principle there. It's almost always the wrong time from our perspective to step out into what God wants us to do. God could have done it any other time, but he did it at flood tide. And so, and so he's talking to Joshua about that. Joshua's giving him his concerns. And finally he says, no, we're going to do it now. And Joshua kind of probably said, you know, I know this story. I was there the last time. You get a stick, you hit the water, it parts, and then you go over. It's like God, God's saying to him, you know, I can do it that way, but I've got a fresh plan for you. Here's how I normally work. Here's what I want to happen. I want you to take the worship team, the one with the skinny jeans and tattoos, and I want you to... I want them to go first. And somewhere between the edge of the water and the middle out there, I'm gonna show up. I don't like that. I do like the fact that it was the worship team, not the, the <laughs> pastors. But I don't like God to show up along the way. I want God to show up first. Do the miracle and I'll walk in. You understand what I'm saying? Give me the chill bumps. Let me feel something. Can I tell you this in your Christian life? Did you respond to God? You almost never feel chill bumps at first. A lot of times you don't feel anything, nothing. But if you take that first step, God shows up along the way. And he wants to do that for some of you today. Here's what I'd like to do. Before I pray for you, I got a couple of, couple of possible steps that maybe he wants you to, actions that you can take. Commit to go all in with Jesus. Commit to go all in. Some, some of us, it'll be the first time. Some of us, it'll be a return to all in. Some of us are just holding a little bit out for ourselves. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you, go all in. Step in, step into the water and see if God isn't good and if he won't make a way. Challenge you, maybe your next step is to join a dream team. You know, I love the dream team around here. I was in here for the dream team prayer just before this service, and what an awesome group of people. Somebody once said that um, the church is kind of like a football game. Some of you will watch a football game today where they'll have, or maybe this weekend, I, there's a big game in college this weekend, I think, uh, Clemson and Carolina. And the, when, when you go to that, that you, you'll see that, uh, that there will be, and if you go, please come back on Sunday for church. But if you, if you go to that, you'll see 22 men in desperate need of exercise being cheered on by 80,000 people in desperate need of rest. That's not how the church should be, okay? We all serve. We all serve. And I challenge you to, to serve. And then one more thing I challenge you to do is, um, did you see this little booklet? that you got as you came in. It's got all kind of cool stories of things going on. Last page says imagine. Imagine update. We're building a new building and we're gonna be finishing that and moving on to campuses and, and, and it's, it's, it's awesome. But uh, you guys have given in the last two years $11.5 million. This was one of those, when we started the building, I was like, who am I? <laughs> How can we do this? We've never raised that kind of money before ever. But you guys have done it. The good news is we're almost there. $12 million was the goal, and we're at about $400,000 from the goal, moving in and, and having the, the, the resources that we needed to, to do that. And so we're gonna have a miracle offering. We're gonna have an end-of-the-year offering on December 15th and 16th. And all we want you to do is just pray, okay? Just 
Pray. That's all. We never twist your arms for money here. Not at all. All I ask you to do is just pray. As a family, just do that. Pray and ask God. Say, God, do you want us to participate in this offering above and beyond what we normally give at the end of the year, Thanksgiving offering? And uh, if he does, just ask him to give you an amount, and we're going to celebrate together in, in, a, in about three or four weeks the goodness of God. Does that make sense? Is that okay? Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you for this wonderful group of people here and on the internet, campuses, just all over the world. So grateful for this opportunity to be able to share the good news of the kingdom. God, I know that you have a plan for every one of us. And I know that your plan usually invites us to things that we think we're incapable of. There are always reasons why we can't do it. But today we're going to invite your greatness into our incapableness and see you work miracles. So I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.